your Bibles. Let's stand together. I'll be preaching from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and I will read it now. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit. This is God's word. Well, in what ways are you thankful? For most of us, giving thanks is not isolated to Thanksgiving dinners. No, it's a regular occurrence in our lives. We give thanks constantly to the Lord in various ways. So think about this question with me. In what ways are you thankful? I wonder if most of us, in thinking about this, immediately went to our health. You see, for the last two years, it seems like almost every headline in the news, really until recently, or conversation with family or memo at work has been about our health. You see, COVID-19 has changed the world in many ways. And I think one massive shift is this hyper focus on our health. Well, has this affected you? Look no further than your prayers. D.A. Carson makes this profound point that he says, most of our thanksgiving is tied to our well-being and comfort. He writes this, he says, the unvarnished truth is that what we most frequently give thanks for portrays what we most highly value. So what we most thank, what, what we most um, what we give thanks for the most betrays what we most highly value. Now, I don't think D.A. Carson is saying that we shouldn't give thanks for our well-being and for our comfort. I think he's saying that our prayers actually act like a mirror that reflect what we care about the most. And although we might see some inconsistencies in our prayers, well, when we gaze at Paul's prayers, like here to the Thessalonians, we see a man who abounds in thanksgiving for spiritual things like conversion, election, and evangelism. And surprisingly, we see that Paul isn't only concerned about the spiritual things in his life, but he's also concerned about the spiritual things in other people's lives. You see, Paul's concerned about the spiritual well-being in all churches. And I pray through studying this passage that we would value, that, that our prayers would be reflected, our prayers would reflect what we most highly value. So we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 1 through 5, and I have two points for us this morning. Point number one, we'll see in verse 3, a converted church. And point two, we'll see in verses 4 through 5, a chosen church. So we're going to see a 
converted church and a chosen church. This is what Paul is giving thanks for. So look with me at verse 1. Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. I gave an overview sermon to the book of 1 Thessalonians about a month ago, but I want to review that. I want us to think about the background quickly. You see, on Paul's second missionary journey, he's accompanied by Silas. He starts off in Asia, but then he pivots to Macedonia, which is modern-day Europe. After being shamefully treated in Philippi, he found himself in Thessalonica, Macedonia's capital city. Paul preached the gospel and people got saved, but he was run out of the city shortly after he arrived. Most commentators believe that he was only there for about six months. Well, Paul continued preaching through Macedonia, and he wanted to come back to Thessalonica, but he was prevented. You see, persecution had not ceased from this church just because Paul left. No, they were being afflicted, and Paul feared that the tempter had tempted them to turn away from the gospel. So Paul, seemingly hopeless, decides to be left alone in Athens while he sends Timothy to check up on this church. What report would Timothy bring back? Would they be following the Lord or would they return to the imperial cult? Well, after visiting the church, Timothy links back up with Paul in Corinth to bring this wonderful news. If you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6, Paul writes this. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought to us good news about your faith and love. Well, then he goes down to verse 9 to say this. How can we thank God for you in return for all the joy we experience before our God because of you? You see, this rhetorical question expresses this deep emotion of thanksgiving. The good news of the Thessalonians' spiritual well-being calls Paul to confess that he could not find an adequate way to thank God for the joy that he has received. Well, for my 30th birthday that happened about two years ago, Kelsey put together an hour-long video of my family and closest friends saying happy birthday in just a couple ways in which they were thankful for me. I remember walking away feeling somewhat guilty after telling Kelsey how thankful I was and how meaningful the gift was to me. It's like my Thanksgiving wasn't doing justice to the gift. The gift was so valuable, the gift was so meaningful, and I was so overjoyed that I couldn't find an adequate way to thank her. The gift inevitably exceeded my thanksgiving. And this is what Paul's saying in verse 9. The gift of hearing about the Thessalonians' spiritual well-being was so valuable to Paul. It was so meaningful that it inevitably exceeded his gratitude. But that would not prevent him from attempting to give thanks to God for the joy that he had received. So this is where we get to verse 2 in chapter 1. Look with me. We always thank God for all of you making mention of you constantly in our prayers. I want us right out of the gate to stare at the phrase, we always thank God. 
This is not some overused phrase steeped in traditionalism. No, Paul intentionally expresses their source of salvation. You see, he doesn't thank the Thessalonians for their hard work. No, he directs their thanksgiving to God. We always thank God. Now think about this with me for a second. I want us to try to feel Paul's gratitude. Picture Henry, my three-year-old son. We go hiking, and Henry veers off and get lost in the woods. And we have everyone searching for him. The authorities come, and it's seven days that we've been searching. And finally, after seven full days, we find Henry healthy and happy. That hypothetical scenario would be no less than a miracle. And very similar It's no less than a miracle for how God has graciously saved, sanctified, and sustained this congregation in spite of severe persecution. Thus, with a heart full of gratitude, Paul acknowledges God's sovereign action in this young church. As he says, again, we always thank God. Well, whom is his thanksgiving directed at? Look at the text with me. He says, we always thank God for who? For all of you, it's directed at the whole congregation. Paul has specific faces and names in mind when he prays for this church. It's like he has a church directory sealed in his mind, not forgetting a single member or family. Well, Christ Fellowship, I wonder if you going line by line in our church directory would be able to thank God for just one thing, just one thing For each individual member. It might go something like this. I'm thankful for how Rob Smith meets with young men to read the Bible. Or I'm thankful for Lynn Quirin and how she desires to counsel ladies. Or I'm thankful for Stephen and Megan Doan. How they give themselves to the youth. That they might build them up for discipleship. Or David Lackey, how he gives himself tirelessly every Sunday to make sure that our Sunday morning service flows smoothly. I know that giving thanks for every individual is getting harder and harder as our church is growing. But getting to know every member is a work worth doing. I pray that in our labors, we will all be able to thank God, like Paul, for all of you, for everyone. Well, I want to point out two more things in Paul's opening line of his prayer in verse 2. Look with me at the phrase, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. First, I want to point out the frequency of his prayers. Paul is constantly keeping in mind this congregation. And remember, Paul is writing this letter while he's in Corinth. If 